Well, good morning. Thanks for being a part of uh, a Sunday morning worship at 514 Church. To anybody that's watching online, we're, we're grateful that you're here as well. And uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to being, being back and uh, sharing. I, I took five weeks off of preaching and uh, feel uh, like energized a little bit to preach again. And I uh, can't wait to share with you what God's put on my heart. And uh, I know that uh, all of you are here today because you're interested in moving towards in this relationship with God further down the road. And I just wanna encourage you all that as I go into this content over the, the next couple weeks, that uh, I wanna set your minds at ease, I wanna release the pressure, because I think that when you feel a tremendous amount of pressure, that you can sometimes miss what God has for you, and you can feel like you're supposed to get something, and, and, and you might be defensive, or you might um, feel frustrated. And so I just wanna release everybody from that, and just tell you that no matter where you are in your journey and your relationship with God, like you do not have to figure all of this out today. It's kinda nice. You don't have to walk out of here and be like, now I know the answer. It doesn't have to be that way. You know, you can take a step every single day. And for some of you who have grown up in the church, uh, what I'm about to get into can be, uh, could be, uh, potentially somewhat frustrating because it's maybe not something that you grew up in church hearing in terms of your purpose and what the purpose of life is. And so, that can sometimes cause somebody to like put up a defense and, and compare you know, what they grew up with with what I'm saying, and then sometimes because what you grew up with in church is not necessarily the specifics of what I'm gonna be saying, uh, you might think that what I'm saying is wrong because that origin spot has this kind of a special glow in your mind. And so I don't, I don't want you to feel like if you didn't hear this specifically, and all that to say, I never had what I'm about to put in front of you over the next couple of weeks put in front of me in all of my time in church and in seminary. I learned it over and over again. I started a process about six or seven years ago of going on a deep dive again into the scriptures and relearning a lot of different pieces of what the Bible actually means and has to say. And so you don't have to walk out of here today and, and throw away what you learned before, and you don't have to walk out of here today and go, now I have it all figured out. You can sit in this place and let God speak to you and hold what is gonna be spoken about and preached about with open hands, allow it to be stimulation for dialogue and prayer and contemplation, and do not let it push you away, because I think if you hold fast, then I think God has amazing things for you. Uh, as simple as it is, what is the reason that we exist? That's the question that I'm gonna be answering that I believe the scriptures answer. What is the purpose of humanity? The purpose of humanity, like why are we all here? This is a question that everybody asks in, in one way, shape, or another. It, it is a question that stimulates so much revenue you cannot even fathom. And, and for those of you that have been in any of the corporate world in terms of leadership development, maybe you're in, in coaching, maybe you're in a profession you have to kind of get continually um, accredited, whatever it is, you have gone down the road 
one way or another in terms of like personality assessments, strengths finders, Taylor Johnson, Enneagram, whatever it is. And, and I have been through all of those trying to figure out what specifically am I supposed to do. Now, those things are great things. But I don't believe that they answer the meta question or answer, if you will, of what is the ultimate purpose of humanity? What is, the, what is like the big one? Because I don't believe that the answer to that is different for everybody. And I believe that the personality assessment, uh, assessment stuff is kind of the next step down where you go, oh, I understand something broader. And so now I'm going to figure out my specific role. Kind of like being in the army or working for a corporation. A corporation has a mission, and then you have your role in the corporation or you have your role in the armed forces, but the, you're a part of a larger mission. In order for you to understand really specifically what you should do, you would, I think, want to understand what is the larger mission or purpose of what I am here to do. Why am I breathing right now? Why did God put me on this planet? Let's go and, and do that. And so this should not only give you a sense of comprehensive ease, purpose, life, direction, but also specific direction on what career should I pick. At least when you understand the overall purpose of humanity, it releases you into the myriad of options related to the specific things that you can do or you may be capable of doing. For me, this has been somewhat of a challenging question that I've worked through uh, through a lot of years. I have a weird story as it relates to most people that I interact with because I believed that I knew what I was supposed to do specifically in the world when I was 12 years old. And I have told many people that that has given me like a tremendous advance in what I spend my time doing. There's nothing like kind of having an experience where God kind of wholesales purpose, broad, and the specifics. So I had this experience when I was 12 that I was supposed to be a preacher. And then in becoming a preacher, you kind of realize that there's this vocational ministry thing that's not mutually exclusive from just regular daily living or people that aren't called to vocational ministry. But for some reason, it was just like, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know how I'm supposed to spend my life. But I will say that having that experience did not explain to me the broader purpose of all humanity. It just kind of, it was almost like in, I don't mean this to be in any kind of negative way, but it was almost like it was like, it didn't say don't worry about that, but it didn't answer the big question of what purpose. It was like, just do this every day. Just do this. Now I will tell you that that, that alone, if you know what to do, it probably puts you above a lot of other people. Just like, what am I gonna do? Am I gonna be an accountant? Am I gonna draw things? Am I gonna like build stuff? Am I gonna sell stuff? Like I just wanna know what I like so I can do it. If you know that, man, you can get really far ahead in life. But this is bigger than that, and it informs that, and it enhances that, and it crystallizes that. The idea of purpose, like I said, is massive in terms of the literature alone that is sold to try to help people understand this question. It's almost like, it's like fishing with dynamite. It's too easy, right? It's just like not even fair. If you know that reference, forgive me. It's a reference from a movie that we're not supposed to talk about that we've all watched in church. Um, 
but it's like fishing with dynamite. It's not even fair. There's a book that's out that is, I believe, arguably the bestseller in the world. It rivals the other book that's the bestseller in the world. Guess what that is? The Bible. It's called The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, and in this book, he tackles this massive question as it's related to his interpretation of the scriptures. His book, because of the word purpose, uh, is just incredibly profound in terms of the amount of reach that it's had. There was a movie made about it in 2015. I think it was called Trapped or something like that because there was a story in like 2007 where a woman was held captured by a man in her apartment and she shared this book, The Purpose Driven Life, that Rick Warren wrote. And after seven hours of being captured, uh, his whole life changed. And you know that book kind of gave him his purpose in life and released her from captivity. And so they made a movie about it. But in that process, this was on the New York Best Times like seller list for 90 weeks. It sold over 18 million copies by 2018 and 32 million copies in its first decade. According to the author and the publisher, 50 million copies have been sold in 85 languages. Now the thing is, is that what Rick Warren has to say, and if you've never heard of Rick Warren, raise your hand if you heard of Rick Warren. All right, he's a pastor um, of a church called Saddleback Church. I, I believe in Rick Warren. I love Rick Warren. He has said things to me in messages, and, and his influence has affected what we do here. He wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Church, which revolutionized my thinking on what church should be. Fantastic leader, one of the most brilliant people in the world. If you go look up a YouTube video of him talking with Kerry Newhoff, he takes you into a library that he has that's as big as this room. He's been on many, many different pastors uh, or uh, presidents, pastoral council. This guy is the real deal, but I take issue with his book. He says in his book, uh, because I don't think that he is ultimately as helpful as he could be, which again, I'm not saying it's all or nothing. I'm not saying don't read the book. I think it leaves something out. He says in his book that this is the anti-self-help book, and he goes on to use language like it's not about you. Basically, figuring out what purpose is all about is when you realize that life is not about you. Now, for some of us hearing that, you might go, well, that, that seems to sound like okay. Like, I think service is important. Sure, it is, and I think when we you know, spend time thinking about who Jesus is, we're captivated by the servanthood of Jesus and who he is and what he's about. And, and there's something in becoming like him that says, well, you've got to become a servant. So certainly Rick Warren is, he's flirting and dancing around what I think is, is critical for us to understand. Uh, I just, I have a problem when you're telling people that they can figure out their purpose and then your answer is it's not about you. Because then what are we gonna do? Actually, then he gives his definition for what it means to have purpose and he says, we're put here to serve God. So his answer is about you. What you're here to do, you're here to serve. And he says that's what makes it not about you. I believe that you're put here for much more than just serving. And I believe that it's not a wrong thing to figure out you. See, there's a movement, I think, in, in teaching sometimes where the Bible teaches that selfishness and being carnal and being driven by the flesh, 
that's wrong. That's always wrong. That's never been okay. It's not been good ever in the history of the world to kind of do things purely out of self-motivation at the expense of the people around you. That, that's never been like the thing to try to do. And so certainly in a, in a sense, it's important for us to understand that it's not about you, but when we're saying that purpose is about figuring out you, we're not saying that it's okay to be selfish. We're not saying that figuring out who you are is selfish. What we're actually saying is that in order for you to find your spine aligned in the life that you've been put in more firmly, with more clarity, with more focus and direction, you do need to understand the nature of you and why you were here. And so I wanna take the time to unpack you and me. Uh, I think it's important. Obviously we know the purpose in the world, and the church says it all the time, is something like what he says to serve. We say that it's to worship God, which of course is true, but how? How? When I say that the purpose of you know, being on earth is to worship God, and, and you hear those words, what do you think about? It's, you're here to worship. Some of you are like, the purpose of my life is to be in this room and do what we just did with the songs? Is that the purpose of my life? No. The purpose of you on earth is not to come here for 30 minutes and sing the worship songs. So you need to, so there's a bigger thing. Is that, is that part of it? Absolutely. Is that important? Of course, it's tremendously important. It's fundamental, but it's not the purpose of why you were here. I've heard people even say, you need to go to praise and worship time because you know, when you get to heaven, you, you, know, you gotta prepare and get ready for the, the you know, millennium long worship set. And when someone says that, I think, oh, I do not wanna do that. I do not wanna go sing Casting Crown songs for a thousand years. So, so we do really need to like, what does it mean to worship God? What does it actually mean every single day to worship God, every moment? Because we need to answer that. Uh, to love God, of course we're supposed to love God. How do we love God? Just by giving your money, no. <laughs> no, way more than that. How do we love God? To be godly, the purpose, right? We say, you, you know the purpose, you need to be godly, you need to be holy, how? How do we become holy? What does it mean to be holy? Growing up in church, holy often meant not doing immoral things. Do you think that the purpose of your life on earth is just to not do immoral things? No. Man, what a sad state of affairs. If that was the case, then we'd just put you in a box. You know, just lock you up, put you away so you can do no wrong and hurt nobody and say nothing and think no wrong thoughts. And then suddenly you're fulfilling God's purpose for humanity. Now you may think that's funny, that's a ridiculous idea, but that's what a lot of parents do to their kids. They lock them off from the world, they keep all stimulation away because the root of that stimulation can lead to immorality, and certainly it can, at the expense of letting them out in the front yard the first time the snow comes. They've never been stimulated by that, and they just build a snowman. That's what they do. The rain, I've never felt the rain. The snow, I've never felt the snow. Sex, what is that? Let's run towards that. Let's go. Absolutely, let's go. You were never taught what it was really about. 
And parts of it are something you can't not run to. You better learn. You want some food, right? You're going to run towards it. So we have to, get, we have to do better. And this is, this is the motivation, right? This is why I'm here today. What I will tell you as I, as I move into this is that, oh, you know, I didn't want to get all preachy already. I just, you know, like I don't want this to come off as something that I had a good idea about one night and wrote a message. This is not what that is for me. This is something that has really changed me all the time. Every moment of my life, every step I take, take not, not the way I feel, which is not a bad thing, but just, it's, it's just not something that comes and goes with whatever I'm feeling that day. It's changed me, it's given me a tremendous amount of clarity. It's given me, and this is one of the most important things as I just turned 42, <laughs> it's given me energy, real energy. Because part of having energy is understanding the way you were made and understanding that, you know, if you can focus, then you, can, you do have some energy. But if you don't know where you're supposed to put it, you might put it everywhere. And then you feel tired all the time. So focus, it's given me resilience. You know, when, when difficult times come to know my purpose, the answer to your purpose doesn't, doesn't exclude the challenges, obstacles, pain, and suffering of life. It actually, it metabolizes that well. And so when the hard stuff come, it doesn't make me question, well, did I get my purpose wrong? It galvanizes it. It says, Yep, that was included in the equation when we set this out for you. It's given me tremendous peace. And that's something that's hard to, to communicate because that's just something that I feel inside and I could tell you that I have it and I could be lying and you wouldn't know. But that's not the case. I feel tremendous peace. I feel tremendous calm. That's why I didn't wanna get all worked up right away. It's also given me a soft heart for others. You know, as I look at people and, and, and I see what they're going through and how they're battling and frankly, you know, over the past five weeks I've had more conversations with couples who are going through either divorce or, or split or something, not just from our church, people just reaching out to me from all over the community. We need help, we need, we need this. And I'll tell you, this perspective has made me have a real tender heart because what I see, and, and again, some of it might be my insertion, but what I see is I see people going down the road of life not knowing what I'm about to share with you and where that takes you is all over the path of destruction in, in the stuff that matters more than anything else like your marriage, if you have one or you want one. And so what I wanna unpack for us in the, over the next couple minutes, and, and this is something that, you know, we talk about here more and more and more. Um, I think somebody made a comment about, I don't know, four or five months ago. Someone made a comment in one of our planning meetings. Can we get out of the book of Genesis? You know, it's like we're always spending time in Genesis. So, you, you know, you're gonna, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go back to Genesis because I believe that it shows us specific information about the purpose of humanity. And, and so we're gonna camp there, and maybe you've heard this before, and again, what I'm about to show you, you do not have to be able to articulate this for it to resonate with you. You don't have to go like, 
Okay, I need to pass the test. What you have to do is, is just let this wash over you. You might have heard it before. You might be hearing it for the first time. And just continue to move towards its meaning and purpose in your life. And as you do, I think you're gonna find tremendous clarity in what it means to be a human. Now, according to the book of Genesis, um, what the Bible teaches us is that when God started to make this world that we live in, that he was making a temple. In, in the language that it was written in, it's written in language that is found in other creation stories that are kind of in concert or came around the same time as this story. And each one of those stories, it has all this similar language about creation and about making temples. And so what the author is saying is that when God started to make his plan through humanity, he put together a temple. He made a temple, and, and the Garden of Eden is a temple. The, 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 the sphere that we live on is, is a temple, if you will. And so he's using this kind of temple language, and it is, it's artistic. Now, this is one of those things where I grew up in a world where you know, a lot of people are like, the book of Genesis is a book that's telling us you know, what happened. It's the history of the creation of the world. And that may be true, but those that know the language know that was not the author's intention when it was written. And this is why one of the reasons why my life has changed, because if you listen to people who know the Hebrew language, they're not trying to say that the book doesn't prove a seven-day literal creation. What they're saying is that the author was not trying to prove a seven-day literal creation story. That's not what he was up to when he was writing the book. What he was up to is he was trying to communicate who you are, who God is, and why we exist. That's the purpose. And so what can happen is in the English translation, you read through it, the first day this, the second day that, the, you know, then God rested. Then you get in the book of Exodus where the, 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 uh, the laws are given and there's a reinforcement of working six days and resting on the seventh. That seems to resonate with the literal seven days. And so there's just some things that we all go, well, that must be what that's all about. And then we can really spend a lot of time going and arguing, you know, God made the world. He did it in six days. You know, it's not the Big Bang Theory. Yeah, Big Bang, God spoke, and bang, there it was. And I've heard all this stuff. And I'm not saying that that's not true. The argument against that is no one can prove if that's true. No one knows how the world was made, whether it was seven. You can't prove it. And the language in the book of Genesis does not try to. It says some things. It may be true, Certainly possible with the God that then gets revealed throughout the text that he could have gone, okay, day one, day two, let's do this this way. Makes perfect sense, but again, we can get all caught up in that and trying to prove that and miss the point of the book. The point of the book is that God created a temple and then it says that in that temple that he made, he put what's called images, an image of himself. And in the original language, that's the same word as idol, idol. 
So the story is like this. God created this beautiful temple. And when, where you know that it's an artistic book is even in the first three verses. It says two completely contradictory things. It says that the earth was formless and void, or the land was wild and waste. And then it says that God was hovering over the dark waters. In the same three verses, it says that the land was all land, or that the earth was all earth, and it says that the earth was all water. So which one was it? Maybe the author is going, combination of both. Maybe you could see it two different ways. There's something similar to an ocean as there is to a desert. It had no form. It had no purpose. But God was there, right? So when you try to break all that down into the biology and the geography and you get into all that, you're going, that's not what he's saying. The earth, the earth was wild and waste, without form, chaotic, and there was dark waters, but the Spirit of God was there. And then he created this beautiful temple, and then he made an image of himself, and he put it in the temple. And the language shows us that what God is doing with his images is similar to what any king would do when they put an image of themselves in a temple. The idol was supposed to represent the king when the king was away. You and I were put on this earth to be representatives of God. He puts us in that temple, and then he also, he gives us vocation. You know, the whole narrative, actually, if you read it in the original language, says that animals and humans are exactly the same. I mean scary the same in terms of their composition. There's two words used for spirit in the language. The main one's ruah, and then it uses another one at a different time, but it's just an interchangeable idea of spirit. And the Bible says that humans were given the spirit of God and the ability to be living beings, and so were animals. They're given breath, and they're living beings. The one thing that sets apart the humans in the story from the animals is the vocation that they're given, the responsibility, the job to do, to represent God and move what he had just created forward into more goodness. Now I've heard this analogy before and this is where I kind of got the, the whole idea. One way to put this is that you and I are angled mirrors. You know if you've ever had a mirror in between two rooms in your house, maybe you're sitting on a couch and there's a mirror and you can see into another room. N.T. Wright, he gives this great analogy. He says, you and I are the angled mirror. We are created in the image of God to reflect who God is. God's looking in one room and then he reflects onto us and then we reflect who he is into the world. We're angled mirrors. And then what happens in the world as a result of being like him is supposed to reflect back on us as a mirror and worship itself back up to God, if you will. And so the idea of an angled mirror, I got this laser. So God made a design, there we are. We're supposed to hit the target. The target is to be like God, to be an angled mirror, to take the image of God, reflect it into the world, and to be his representatives, to be his kings, to be his priests. Whoa, this is harder than it looks. There we go, I hit the target. We're supposed to be angled mirrors. The idea is we, 
we reflect into the world the God that made us. We're, we're image bearers. Now, other stories, like I mentioned, don't say this. There's a story uh, from Babylon at a similar time where Marduk basically is like tired of work and all the gods are complaining to him. And what they end up doing is they make slaves out of the mud and blood. Some, some animals get their, their uh, throats cut and then the blood goes into the ground and they make these creatures that simply exist to be slaves for the gods. Not with this story. This story says that God, the one true creator, made us to be not just reflections of him, but partners with him. People who take his hand or take the baton of the original creation story and then move it forward, continue it forward to be partners, to be his children whom he loves, not slaves who he can just discard when they have no more value. We are representatives and extensions of God. So here's a couple different ways to put our purpose in my own words and some other people's words. Here's my first take. Our purpose is to partner with God in taking the creation project forward. God created a temple. He said, I made you in my image, in my likeness. I'm putting you in the temple. When I'm not here, you need to do what I did. I just spent six days creating. You need to create. I just made the world beautiful. Take the trees and cut them down. That's not a commentary on cutting all the trees down. You're supposed to rule over them, though. Rule over those trees and make a chair. Take the dirt and make a home. Actually create and build a city. That's why we're here. God said, I wanna make an extension, a reflection of, of me into the world, and so that's what you're gonna do. So there's one, our purpose is to partner with God in taking the creation project forward. Uh, here's another one. The reason God created us is to worship him by continuing to create in the world that he put us in. To make. Another way to think of this is in that Genesis 1, 2, and 3, that the Spirit was hovering over the waters. It was formless and void and dark, and the Spirit of God was there, and then what God does is he speaks, and when he speaks, that's his energy, that's his strength. And when he uses his voice, the land comes up and it starts to produce vegetation after he brings water into the land, the appropriate amounts and, and harmony takes place. So you and I are, are, are like God, right? We're, we're in his image. So what you and I are supposed to do every single day in any way possible with a couple exceptions is look at something that's not made, that needs development, that might be chaotic, and use our voice or our talents and skills to draw from those dark waters order and beauty and cosmos and connection, and utility, and ingenuity. So that means like when a teacher, just to dive in, when a teacher goes to school, and the kids are wild and waste, and it's chaos, a teacher uses their voice to bring order to the room, to teach. You can, and I'm gonna get into this, you can be a profound worshiper of God every moment of your life when you are embodying the image that he made you to be. This should start to change the system that you're coming from. 
It's so much more. So when you go through the text that we looked at when you guys walked out here, it gives three to four specific jobs that we have as humans, and here they are. And I'm gonna break these down. To rule is the first one. We are created to rule. Oh yeah, that's the other one. This is the other uh, uh, definition of purpose that I, this is John Mark Comer's. This is what he says in Garden City. You and I were created to rule. Simply put, I like to take it a little bit for what does that mean to rule? To be like God, to create, to recreate, to do all those things. But then you get into, in that passage that we looked at, you can look at what God tells them to do. Here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to rule. You're supposed to recreate, take what I've given you, continue it forward, make more, build stuff, reproduce. Ooh, that's a, we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about how to reproduce. No, we're not gonna talk about how. We're gonna talk about how important it is, okay? And that's gonna sound antiquated for some of you and it's too conventional and having a family and having kids. And what we're gonna do is we're just gonna move past some of those thoughts and we're gonna look at what the scriptures have to say about the importance of being alive and being born and we'll unpack that together, but it's part of why we're here and then ultimately to build relationships, good relationships, and how the New Testament full circle articulates what it means to be human. But here's how I'm gonna close this time. Because this is, an, this is magnificent, and you're not gonna get it right away, and it needs to click, and it needs to take time, and you're gonna have to rattle some of the rust and dust loose of whatever you thought before. And it doesn't give you all the answers, but we're gonna try to give you the nitty gritty as you go out throughout the weeks. But what's so critical about being images of God in the world is that realizing and reaching our, our purpose is not possible today without the person of Jesus. It is not possible for you to be who God made you to be without the person of Jesus. You see, the other thing that the narrative does is it tells us that God did this amazing thing when he created this temple, is he made a tree of life, and then he made a tree of death. It's called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the tree of life represented, guess what? Life, eternal life. And basically what he says is you can eat from any tree, and if you eat from the tree of life, you know, you'll never die. Now, that's not like you'll like never lose consciousness, that means you'll never physically die. But then he says, but then there's a tree of death, a real tree of death. And if you eat from that tree, you will die. You will die. So in Genesis 2.17 it says this, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or the tree of death, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The, the irony in this story is fantastic. Go back and read Genesis 1 and 2. The people who were designed to rule over the world, which includes what? Animals are tricked by an animal. They're led astray by an animal. Fun little fact, it says that the serpent was crafty. You know, he was shrewd. And then it says that when Adam and Eve take and eat from the apple or the, the fruit, the word there, that it, when it says that they became naked, is not the word naked, it's the word crafty and shrewd. So what happens is, is the snake 
tricks the people into eating from the tree of death. He says, actually, God said one thing, you're supposed to be like him, but if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be him instead of just being like him. And he, they get tricked. They're like, whoa, whoa, that, that sounds good. That sounds better. God said, if you do it, you'll die. They think, well, if I'm like him, how could I die? So the, he, they get tricked. So what happens when Adam and Eve sin and they realize some shame, they realize something's wrong, part of what they are starting to understand is that they can hide and try to trick people and hide their sin and be crafty and deceive and become beings they were never supposed to be. So they hide from God. They think they can cover themselves. They're acting like snakes. When we were designed to rule the world, in the scriptures, the idea of falling short or when Jesus and God and the Bibles talks in all these different ways about sin, that word sin. We know that word and what that word means is to miss the mark. But it does not mean uh, just doing bad things. And this is something I'm so passionate about as it's related to your purpose. It's not about God saying, don't, don't go cross that line. Don't, don't think that thought. Don't, don't have that, that, you know, don't steal. Don't, don't have that impure motive. Don't, don't, it, that, that's a part of it, and that matters. But the idea of sin in the book of Genesis is not just about not doing or doing bad things, but not doing the good that you were created to do. You see, when Adam and Eve take that that fruit, and they fall short of the glory of God in the sense that instead of being like God and representing God, they try to become their own gods, and that's how they die. So we don't want to get this idea when we're talking about images that, like, we're divine. We're certainly not divine. We are supposed to be in cosmic submission to our maker, empowered by his spirit, to be extensions of his goodness in the world. But you can't just be an extension of his goodness by doing good things. You have to have a direct connection to the maker and walk with him and talk with him and know him and love him. You don't just get to sign up for the team and not listen to the coach. You're supposed to have an intimate, free-flowing, loving, dynamic relationship with God. And so you need him. And so when Adam and Eve sinned, it said that they would die. And the Bible tells us later that the wages of sin, right, of not doing what you were designed to do, you see it? So if our purpose is to hit the target, right, we're supposed to hit this target. As soon as we don't hit the target, we fall short of the glory of God. We're made to be just like him, to represent him, and when we don't, we fall short. So it's not that we're doing bad things, it's that the world isn't getting the good that he created us to make. So what does that mean? You die. When we're not living how we're supposed to be, we're gonna die, you're gonna die. It's not good for us, it's bad. We're, we're trying to be God, we can't be God. We're supposed to be like God and bring goodness into the world. When we choose to be God, guess what we do? Bring horrific realities into the world. So we die and everything around us dies. The wages of not doing what we were called to do is death. So, this is the gospel. God said, I gotta fix this death thing. 
I don't want you to die. I don't want you not to fulfill your purpose. I don't want you to be something else. I don't want you to listen to a snake. I want you to rule, lead, build, and honor. So the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And since none of us are good enough to fix this problem, God had to become the fixer of the problem. Do you understand why Jesus had to die? He had to die. Jesus had to die. Jesus is God in the flesh. He had to die because the wages of sin is death. He had to take it all. That was the penalty. You and I moved off of our purpose. That causes death. The wages of sin is death. So the perfect lamb of God, the substitution, stepped in and said, I'll die. I'll take sin and become it. I'll pay the penalty on the cross for all of you not acting like you were designed to be, the way I purposed you to be my image bearers, reflections representing God in a world, constantly maintaining worship and mindfulness of who I am. I will step into that place and I will take all of sin and all of death all of it, and I'll be the new man, and then I will conquer all of sin and death so that you can get back to work. Because sin is just not you messing up your life, man. Sin is not just you doing something you're not supposed to do, doing what feels good. Sin is a nasty, horrific, lifelong burden not doing what you were designed to do. It's a burden, man. Do it your way, walking in sin, just doing things your own way, eating the tree, do whatever you wanna do. You're falling short of the original design. Jesus comes along and he says, come to me. All you who are laboring and burdened, what are they burdened by? They're burdened by not living their purpose. They're burdened by sin. They can't be the humans they were designed to be. You're burdened by choosing your own way, by being your own God, by picking your own fruit, by listening to the snake, by trying to do it your way. You're burdened. It burdens you down. It doesn't just burden you down. It takes you into the ground. And Jesus comes and he says, Oh, come to me. I will lift two burdens off your shoulders. I will lift the yoke off of your shoulder. The first one I will lift off is sin. I will take away, I will give you, through me, a pathway to start living for God again. And then he says, I'll lift another burden, death. You will die, because the wages of sin is death, but in me, you will have new life and you will resurrect. And in Ephesians 2.10, it says this, God made us what we are in Christ Jesus. God made us to do good works, which God planned in advance for us to live our lives doing. You need to know today that God loves you in your fallen purpose and mind, God loves us. He's not just dying for you as a transaction. He's dying for you to transform you. 
to someone that can start to hit the target, to someone that can live every day as an image bearer, moving this project forward, taking chaos and turning it into something beautiful. It's what we're called to do. And one of the things that the world struggles with as it relates to Jesus is it's nice, isn't it, if Jesus makes us feel nice. It's nice if Jesus kind of sits in our minds as an idea. But what the world is not ready for, and anyone who's ever grabbed hold of their ultimate purpose and understood that they were designed to be images of gods and reflections and bearing the good realities of what it means to be created in his image, the world can't handle that. It's too much, man. And a lot of people turn away from Jesus because it's like, I like the idea of Jesus. But that resurrection Jesus, man, that guy that like overcame the burden of sin and death, that guy that like repurposed and remade and, 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 and asks me to move back on track, the world can't handle that, man. That's too much. That, that's, that's radical when you start living that way. N.T. Wright said this, we could cope. The world could cope with the Jesus who ultimately remains a wonderful idea inside his disciples' minds and hearts. Just an idea. The world cannot cope with the Jesus who comes out of the tomb, who inaugurates God's new creation right in the middle of the old one. The Genesis story is the same as the John 20 story of resurrection. When Jesus resurrects to new life, he starts creation again. He's defeated sin and conquered death. And he sends you his powerful spirit so that you can partner with him as you were always intended to do in restarting the creation project. Restart it. I have such a, I just want everyone to get this. I want you to see every day the contributions that you can make. You know, it's like, oh, I don't like the worship song, or I don't, I don't know about, whatever. I want you to see that God made you to be great at that thing. And that's where you get into these strength finders and personality tests and you want to find out what you're good at because God wants you to bring the best you can. But the reason that he made you is to be like him. I want this to kind of release us. I look out in the room, I see people who've worked on Wall Street. I see people who own massive corporations. I see people who work as firefighters. I mean, I just love, like that, that right there, you can do that. You can do that every day as an image bearer. And think when you help people when they're dying or they're in a wreck or the house is on fire and you go in, you are literally going into chaos and creating beauty. And you can do that for God. You can be a nurse. You can be a stay-at-home mom. You can be a stay-at-home dad. You can do anything you want if your purpose is aligned and understood as it relates to the way that God created you. So let's just take a minute, we'll pray, and I'll, I'll let you guys go. And I want you to come back, because again,
this is just an outline and we're gonna fill it in every single week with more. Let's take a minute and pray. God, thank you so much. Just with original purpose, the freedom and clarity that that can bring, I pray my words would help stimulate those truths in people's minds and hearts so that they, they, they get it, that your spirit kind of grabs on and, and something clicks that maybe is, is beyond articulation. But that, that the steps that are taken, the life that's living, would be changed. God, we are the light of the world. We thank you for making us so in the person of Jesus. We love you. We're here for you today in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you guys next week, all right? Tell a friend. Hey, everyone. We are so glad that you hung out with us today. Uh, we would love to connect with you. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to hear from you. So please text hi to the number on the screen, and we can't wait to see you soon.